This is episode number 199 of the Rising Man podcast with Aaron Kleinerman. Sometimes the biggest risk we take is our first step. What's up, Rising Man family? Thank you for joining me here again today for another riveting episode of the Rising Man podcast. I've got a special guest for you. Before we jump in today, I want to remind you guys to cruise over to risingman.org and check out all the amazing programs and opportunities we've got coming up in the near future. Big shout out to my man, Christian Maurer over there. He's done some great work updating our website so that it's more user-friendly, easy to navigate. If you haven't been there in a while, please cruise over there, risingman.org. Also, if you haven't listened to last week's Monday Morning Meditation, I want to ask you guys to go back and check that out. I did a special tribute episode and call to action inviting you guys to contribute to the Dancing Bee Memorial Scholarship Fund. There's a really special story I shared there about where the scholarship came from and why we created it and how it's going to help more men access the work that they're that they're looking for to help them be the men that we talk about here on the podcast. So... Please go and check out those things. Take a few moments while I introduce our guest for today. Aaron Kleinerman is a transformational sex and relationship coach, facilitator, and speaker. He's the lead male teacher for the Embodied Awakening Academy, tantric practitioner, and creator of the Conscious Man's Guide to the Bedroom. Aaron went from being a licensed captain navigating ships to a sexual behavior and movement specialist navigating souls. In this episode, Aaron and I connected on some deep topics, including masculine embodiment. What does the word embodiment mean anyway? And why does this matter for us as men? We discussed how men have been groomed to navigate relationships according to societal norms and a new standard for how we can approach relationships. Lastly, Aaron shared some potent wisdom regarding his perspectives on vulnerability and the first leap we all take into doing our work. Without further ado, Aaron Kleinerman. All right, Rising Man family, I've got Aaron Kleinerman joining me today, all the way from Costa Rica. How are you feeling today, bro? I'm good. I'm good. I just put my feet down in this beautiful country last night and uh, just prepping for a men's retreat starting up tomorrow. That's awesome, man. I, I am a little bit envious right now. You look very comfortable. Today, it's a very cold, gray, overcast Santa Cruz day. And I'm like, man, Costa Rica sounds pretty good right now. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. I, I live mainly in Bali these days, and I've been gone from the tropics for the past like two months. So I'm like, oh, this feels very homely. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thanks for joining us, man. I know how it can be getting ready to build up to a bigger tree. I know you got, I think you said 20 men coming out there with you this weekend. That's yep. awesome. Really excited to hear a little bit more about that. Um, I'm going to jump right into it, man, because you seem like a guy who's ready to go. I always ask this question of my guests, and that is, what does it mean to be a man? Hmm. Especially in today's world, what does it mean to be a man? <laughs> you know, for me, being a man is is uh, being very certain, clear, confident, as well as the capacity of my own receptivity. I feel like the, the shoes to which men wear in today's world has changed a lot from the, let's say, you know, a, a man that was being an apprentice with his father, learning how to, you know, weld and do things like that a hundred plus years ago to a, a man now of like, okay, you know, being online more and interacting in a very different way. And I find for me, what it really means to be a man is to have a balance of both time with the earth, where I'm really connecting with nature, connecting to that part of me that is beyond just my mind and into my body as well as a part of me that likes to get shit done and likes to you know be productive so to be a man in today's world is to know you know inside of me the power of my my seed the power of my creativity um, as well as my capacity to to be to, to know death you know I think we could take it right there because I think a man has to know death in order to be really a man <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, I want to pick this one apart. You, you, dropped, yeah. you dropped some nice, nice. <laughs> First curiosity. I love that you said that it's different in the modern world compared to what it used to be. Hmm. And I think that's kind of obvious, right? The modern world is so much different than it was even for just our father's generation, right? But certainly multiple generations back, it's like a completely different planet that we're living on and inhabiting. But I'm interested more in what's the same. What hasn't changed over the course of time, in your opinion, for what it means to be a man? Well, what I feel like hasn't changed is there's still, I feel, inside of men a, a longing to be on purpose 
and just think that what that purpose is has changed and shifted. Like I was just having a, a lunch meeting with the, the guy I'm you know teaching this retreat with, and we were talking about some guys in our field and conversations. He was saying, uh, uh, you know, a guy he knows said, I don't know what my purpose is. And to me, when a man doesn't know what his purpose is, it's almost like, well, who, who the fuck are you? You know, and, and that's challenging because we want to know what our purpose is. We want to be clear. We want to be direct. We want to know what that is. And I think the man from 100 years ago could identify more in the purpose of I'm a family man, I'm, you know, raising my children, I'm, I'm working hard, I'm, I'm getting things done, and I'm providing, I'm being the provider. And I think that is still alive. I think there's a lot of validity in being a provider for family, but I think the way in which that providing is happening has shifted. And, and there's almost this conversation where people who are just providers, like, is that enough? You know, and, and is that enough? Like I look at, you know, I come from a maritime military background and a lot of the guys I went to school with and guys in that world, like their general identification as a man is the provider for their family. So I think that piece, in answer to your question, is something that has stayed consistently true. It's just the way in which that providing is happening is of course changing with our times. It's like the value of that has gotten knocked down the ladder as mm. we've created a more complex society. Like you said, you know, however many generations you have to go back, simply providing and protecting your family was not just enough. It was noble, mm. right? It, it was it was what a man is supposed to do. And nowadays, there's plenty of men who are doing that at a baseline level. We can we could get into the nuances of how well they're doing that, but mm -hmm. as far as putting food on the table and sending their kids to school and giving their families opportunity to thrive and grow. There's a lot of men who are doing that, but feel exactly what you described, that sense of inadequacy, it's not enoughness. And I think that's just a symptom of an increasingly more complex society that we've subscribed to that tells us you gotta be shooting for more. You gotta mm -hmm. be shooting for more than just that. And I, I work with a lot of fathers and dads too, and mm -hmm. how many of them feel that purposelessness and I'm mm. like, man, just just turn around and look behind you <laughs> at your kids right there. Mm -hmm. All you mm -hmm. all you need to know as far as purpose is right there. And I think there's, a, I don't know, I, I, maybe you feel similarly that a lot of guys are, are trying to complicate this idea of purpose and, and making it more than what it needs to be. Yeah, no, I I, I feel, feel that quite strongly. I think that a man that can be a, a good provider and be a good, you know, family man and, and create safety and security there's something deeply powerful about that i'm not a father i have many friends in my life who who are fathers and you know i run into this funny thing and i'm, I'm curious what you think some of the guys i know who are you know just family men and like they they work on the land and they have their family and they're you know they're doing their thing in their own beautiful way i've actually sometimes find they're more spiritual than the guys who are like more in the spiritual circles of things. And I navigate a lot in kind of spiritual circles, but I also have a lot of friends from my other life that, you know, they work out at sea or they they work with the military and they just do their nine to five. And I wouldn't say all of them are like fully, like really fulfilled, but those that are like, there's something really beautiful about that. And I think sometimes people take that away. It's like with all of this rising of consciousness, sometimes the, the family man is almost forgotten, but there's a real gift in just doing that and being the provider. And if that's somebody's sole journey, then my hat's off to that. Sometimes people don't want more. And, you know, we, they don't need to want more either. You know, I, I, I think there might be a time if someone's hitting their head against the same brick wall and they realize that they need to change. But if they're generally content inside and they feel fulfilled, then hats off to them. They don't need to go to some retreat to figure that out, you know? <laughs> well, I've got an example that is it's metaphorical in nature that I think will will convey how I feel about this. So yeah. I, I participate in, in t traditional ceremony uh, in the Native American church. It's been a beautiful uh, connection spiritually for me. I, spoke, I speak about it a lot here on the podcast. People who know me intimately know it's a huge part of my life. And my, my wife, myself, my kids have been involved in that for the past six years. Hmm. And in that tradition, there's a, there's a legacy, there's a lineage of passing on the responsibilities to carry what they call the fireplace of, mm -hmm. uh, of, the, the, of the ceremonial space. So basically the responsibility to be a ceremonial leader 
in a community mm. is something that is gifted and passed on. And in the best case scenario, it's not it's done in a very deliberate manner, a very calculated manner. It's something that generally takes many years for somebody to prepare for and earn the, the, the right and the, and the respect and the prestige to carry that on. Now, one of the things that you see, just because we're all humans and it's inevitable in any community, is ambition that shows up. And you see people, a lot of times young people, who want that that fireplace, who want the prestige of that role, of that responsibility. And I've come to really respect and appreciate and honor the ones who who are given that opportunity and almost reject it at first mm. because they, they have so much respect and honor for what it means to sit in that role, to carry that responsibility. And the, and the, re the rejection is, is connected to, I, ha I have so much respect for what it means to carry that responsibility that I, I don't want it. I don't desire it. I don't, I don't have ambition to sit in that position, mm -hmm. but I will if that's what's calling me, if that's what the people need, if that's if this is in the best interest of my people, of my family, of my community, fill in the blank, I will take on that role. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's I, I, the reason I share that is because to me, it's such a pure example. And it's a really great litmus test to see who's ready for responsibility. To me, as mm -hmm. somebody who doesn't desire it, but is willing to say yes anyway. And I think that's where real purpose shows up. You know, if it's if I'm pursuing purpose because of there's a significance at the other end of the of the equation for me, that's mm -hmm. something that I need to look at. I need to check mm. myself in, and that's why having having community is so essential. A lot of these people who are out there in the world who are lone lone wolf in it, lone dog in it, that pursuit of significance can cloud the greater connection to purpose, in my opinion. Sometimes. Yeah, and you know, I I, I love you say that because. You know, one of the things I hear in that is there's sometimes an ego identification to the role. And the moment, you know, the ego gets identified, well, I want to be seen in this way as the, you know, the firekeeper, as a ceremonialist, so that a part of my identification gets validated. And, you know, there's a big piece of that in the culture as a male body on this planet, because we grow up and we get validated by the hat and the role and the significance that all of these different positions make. And I've been caught up in that myself. And one of the biggest gifts I found is when I can actually dissolve my desire to be anything and actually surrender into how does my soul want to show up without doing something because it's validating like you know i've been in this game of doing retreats and workshops and speaking for over 15 years and you know 10 years or 15 years ago like there was a, a lot more ego identification to wanting to be the one who's teaching and i am the guru and you know all the other stuff that comes with that and you know one of the places i really like to support in you know live retreats like the one i'm starting tomorrow is what does it look like when male bodies can share in power and what can that dynamic feel like? And yeah, I'm the one kind of, you could say, navigating the ship and kind of bringing in different people, but I'm, to the best of my ability, wanting to create a space where they can feel that there's different leaders who are bringing this piece in and this, is, this piece is coming in. Yeah, we need some organizational framework, but the more that every individual has their genius that gets to be shared, then they're doing that not because they want to be validated by who they are, but doing it because that's generally their unique soul's gift that's been offered on this planet. And that's like, that it turns me on. That's where this conversation gets sexy. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's where the word patience comes in for me because I know I started sitting in men's circles when I was 20 years old. I'm 34 today. And for the first three or four years, it was just, it was literally just males sitting in circle together. I didn't really get busy until I was 25. And I sat in a men's circle with guys who've been doing it for a long time. And I know that if I look back to where I was when I was 25, and when I first started coaching and, and leading men's circles when I was in my late 20s, there was definitely more ego attached to it. I can definitely own the significance factor, the, the, the need that was not yet met, you know, that third stage in Maslow's hierarchy of needs to secure my belonging and my place within the tribe, within the community was so much louder then. And of course, I didn't want to speak to it because who wants to expose their ego when they're in leadership? <laughs> 
But exactly what you described there, I can feel the difference now. Now that I've been putting in my reps, now that I've been done, done this for longer, there's a much greater ratio in favor of, I just want to be here to be of service. Hmm. I'll do whatever it takes. I don't, I don't necessarily want to or need to be the guy leading the charge, but I will if I'm the mm-hmm. right guy. If I'm the mm-hmm. right guy for the job, then I'll do it. I'll do it for as long as I need to, but along the mm-hmm. way, I'm going to empower others who can step into that role, who can serve in that capacity if that's what their soul's calling and yeah. that's what I hear in what you're describing too. Is like I, I'm just, I, I'm just happy to be here and be of service. That's that's plenty for me, you know. Yeah, you know, and, and that place of leadership I feel like is so relevant. You know, the background I came in from maritime military. Like I've always been a very natural born leader, and that exact place kind of came in with what you're saying. Like I the framework of like this particular retreat i was looking for something that was going to meet my edges more and meet the uncomfortable places inside me and i and i pulled from a couple different like retreats and different things and different teachers and mentors and then i was partly like all right well who else is doing this who else is like taking facilitators and people who are doing this work and taking them to the next level and i looked around and i was like i i okay, I guess that's me. Like that was kind of like, I remember, you know, when this retreat was first kind of birth, a mentor of mine had about 50 guys who were all on this path for, you know, many years. And we get, came together in, in Prague. And at the end of it, there was conversation of like, who's going to lead this? Who's going to keep doing this? And I was like, well, I want to. And I kind of figured other guys would be, and it, it's just kind of all dwindled away. Like there's one or two other guys who've kind of done some things. And I get everyone has their own place. But what I'm what I like about that is like I I'm doing this because I love supporting, especially guys who are facilitators, who are doing holding men's circles like where's their next edge? Where's their next place of finding the uncomfortable shadows inside? And that's what I long for. So I'm like, I'm going to create that. So I end up having, you know, usually 60, 70 percent of the guys that come in for this. It's a little bit smaller groups of guys that are doing big things in their community. And that for me is like, ah, I'm not just impacting that person. I'm impacting, you know, their whole tribe that sits behind them as well. Sure. Sure, man. I, I love that. I, I could All I can do is nod my head because I'm yeah. in complete resonance with you. I've had a very similar experience myself. I'd say it's really landed for me in the past couple of years, if I'm being truthful, that I genuinely feel that. There, for a while, I could speak to that because that's underneath layers of ego. That's what my heart was telling me all along. But really <laughs> in the past couple of years, even more so just this past year, it's it's that much more true and that much more authentic. So I deeply resonate with what you're saying and I actually want to shift over into this conversation of embodiment here before mm. we started recording i told you how much i get triggered by words like embodiment and consciousness just getting haphazardly thrown around in the space and saturated so let's first define embodiment what is, what is embodiment when you use that word what do you describe it? it it means to be inside the body to be inside this human flesh suit and Uh, One of the reasons that I feel like embodiment is becoming more of a conversational topic is that we're realizing on a certain level that our mind is only going to take us so far. You know, the, the analogy I love to look at is I'm a ship's captain by trade, so I've spent a lot of time navigating big ships around the world. And one of the ships I worked on for a while was a cruise ship out in Hawaii. And when you're up, when we're on the cruise ship, you had a, a navigator and a co-navigator up on the bridge. And the co-navigator's job was assimilating all of the different information, the wind, the weather, the tides, the next port of call. And then essentially, you know, kind of feeding that to the navigator who then is making the decision of, you know, left 20 or, you know, slow down or, you know, this is happening. I find for a lot of people, the mind is the navigator and the heart is the co-navigator. Where the shift happens is where the mind can just do its job as the assimilating information machine that it is and then feed that information through the neural pathways as beautiful science has showed us that literally opens up the heart more. So for me, embodiment is a journey out of the mind into the heart but it's also including the emotional body and our sex center so these four centers we have our mind we have our heart we have our emotions we have our sex if 
the information at the sex center and the emotions can start to feed that to the heart and the mind can feed that to the heart then at, what happens at the end is a more integrated individual who's a, connected to the heart which in my perspective is the closest representation to the soul so if i want to be more embodied and connected to my soul's purpose then i need to be connected to my heart but if my mind is always making the decisions then my heart's just following it along the way so to shift that to dive into the mystery of the body requires a willingness it requires a capacity to meet some of the uncomfortable like you know the a lot you could say a lot of the anger and shame and guilt and kind of the the nasty stuff that's in like the lower chakras that's like gets pushed away at a young age that needs to be addressed to be a more embodied man and, and that's what i found in my own journey when i didn't want to confront those things i could understand something intellectually but the cells of my body was still dictating something else and i think that's what people run into a lot is we understand all the concepts but then we're still making the same decisions yeah yeah that's why i tell people that you can't just listen to the podcast you can't just read the books you got to put your body in circumstances where it can gather that experiential wisdom of actually mm. being in the storm not just hearing about it or reading about it in the newspaper you know when you, when you were talking about that and you're talking about all the intellect I had this flashback to high school. I went to a private Catholic high school back in northern New Jersey, a uh, very competitive <laughs> school. I was smart. I was in all of the honors classes, but I wasn't the smartest. I de like definitely not by, by, by far. You know, there was kids way more intelligent than I was. Kids who got perfect SAT scores and fives on their AP tests. But I remember that these kids were like just, I realized they were just brains walking around. In a, in a completely empty body because they would have nervous breakdowns. They'd have nervous breakdowns during finals week. They'd, they would be confronted or, or bullied or have somebody you know start physically pushing them around a little bit and they would completely disintegrate. And brain power can only get you so far and it revealed itself. Here we were, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old kids. But by the time that those 16, 17, 18 year old kids got to college and now we're in our early 20s, now we have to navigate the world completely unprepared. My college experience, I went to school at a place called Ithaca College, which is right next to Cornell, which is an Ivy League school. The number of suicides that happened at Cornell, just, just on the other side of the hill of where we were, because these, these brains were so overwhelmed and couldn't integrate what was happening in their bodies that the only way out they saw was, was ejecting themselves. Mm -hmm. you know? And... That I, the reason I bring that up is because when you were talking about the, the intellect, we, we put such a high social value on intellect. Even our educational system is completely modeled around intellectual information. It seems like it's changing a little bit now. Even my like the alternative schooling is very much more, in, in, it's encouraging kids to be a little bit more in their bodies. They're doing meditation, they're doing more, they're, they, they're bringing physical education back to the curriculum, but there's such there's a gap it's like a whole generation forgot how to be in their bodies and mm -hmm. unless we address that it's going to pass itself on to our kids for sure yeah and you know i think the number one issue with this is that we're generally in a culture and society that values logic reason and understanding more than intuition feeling and receptivity and, you know, the intuition, feeling and receptivity, in, in my perspective, is a bit more of, of feminine qualities. And when I say feminine, I'm just meaning like I have feminine qualities, you have feminine qualities, I'm in a male body, you're in a male body. But to be more integrated and whole means that those more feminine qualities are more well matured and developed, you know, and when I look at the conversation of embodiment as it relates to the feminine, when I look out in the world, I see the most unhealthy feminine is in a man's body, not in a woman's body. And so if we're wanting more embodied leadership and we're wanting more people who are not just fluctuating at the mind, that doesn't mean the mind goes away. It just means it's there utilized as a tool. Then what that requires is a journey into 
the mystery of the body, which can be a deep mystery that's often disconnected because of so many times in our life when we were told we can't feel and, you know, put on your happy face, you know, big boys don't cry. All the different terminology and verbology that's, you know, kind of taken on through the years that then it's like, okay, if I'm going to do society, I'm supposed to just do it by getting good grades, by being smart, by being academic. And, and that's how I live. I live in the brain. And I think we as a culture, as a society and as male bodies realize that, that there's a new there's a new course being charted. And that, that to me is where this gets exciting, you know. Uh, 100%, I agree. And to me, when I think of embodiment, it's the calm during the storm, the mm. calm within the storm, right? I think of uh, some of these archetypal scenes from movies where you see a man and it's just like downpouring and lightning and thunder striking, and you just see this calm resolve over someone's body. That, that's the image that I think of when I imagine myself in the, st the storms of daily life adversity mm -hmm. challenge those inevitabilities that i don't know about you i wasn't really prepared for as a, as a child nobody really told me about some of those challenges that were waiting for me on the other side of the threshold going from boyhood into manhood mm -hmm. and so when we talk about embodiment i would have loved to be in more uncomfortable situations as a kid mm. and to also be supported in that discomfort in a different way i think mm -hmm. the parents did the best they could but I actually lived a very safe, a very secure, a very calculated and predictable childhood. Hmm. Life still gave me adversity. You know, I almost lost my mom when I was nine years old. I almost died when I was five years old. There's some things that you just can't avoid no matter how quote unquote privileged you are. Mm -hmm. But I, I know my generation and a lot of my contemporaries, they lived a very safe life. And then it was all of a sudden, okay, good luck now, because <laughs> here comes the storm. <laughs> good luck and you know, duck and cover. Um, and so I think, and I, I think that creates a lot, that a lot of the shame phenomena that we have of, you know, guys with beards and who are disconnected from their feelings and, and feel emotionally at the maturity level of a child because we haven't really learned how to be in the discomfort of life and challenge. And yeah. that's where embodiment comes in, right? Throw your body at it and teach your body how to be in it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's also one of the reasons that, you know, especially in COVID times, male suicide rates have, have skyrocketed because there is so much feeling that's happening. And there's also this like fear of, well, what happens when my body dies? So what if I could meet that fear, not just at an intellectual basis, but at an embodied level that lets me... Ah, breathe, lets me move, lets me sound, lets me feel what it feels like to be in this male body. You know, the reflection kind of um, space I want to speak to that is like, often I see men who can have these very chaotic and crazy, you know, woman on the outside, you know, a partner, a woman that's very crazy and wild, and how do I deal with that? It's like, I've learned in myself having very strong, dynamic, animated partners that they're really just a reflection of anything that I haven't learned to love and appreciate inside myself. So if I'm judging and blaming the, um, their crazy embodiment, I realized that I was just judging and blaming it because I didn't own the, the crazy bitch that was inside of me. <laughs> <laughs> sure, man. And I, I think the same is true for a lot of things. As soon as we're triggered by something, as soon as we see ourselves judging something, it's usually just because it's a projection of the inside, right? That we don't want to yeah. look at or don't feel comfortable looking at. Uh, but that's great. I'm glad that you made that connection. You know, uh, this idea of embodiment and being able to be, when I think of embodiment, I think of a lot of the martial arts uh, analogies. I think of these old masters and senseis that just have to walk in the room and command attention and respect just because of the presence that they have. When I think of ultimate embodiment and mastery of the body, it's having that. And to me, it's years and years of putting ourselves through the rigors and challenges to basically you're only as prepared for the future as what you've already been through in the past. That's the way mm -hmm. I look at it. Mm -hmm. And so one of those places that I see a lot of men that in my opinion are wildly unprepared for because I was one of them is relationship, committed relationship specifically. And, and even just relationship in general, whether we're talking about casual dating or we're talking about long-term committed partnership. So what's the connection between embodiment and 
relationship in the way that most men want to show up but sometimes have a hard time figuring out how to do that? Well, what I've found from my own journey is that the more I've become, you know, embodied in my own feelings, my own senses, my own being, then it's allowed me to show up in relationship with more congruency and more of an overflow. And rather than what I see happen in relationship is a lot of codependency, where often a man is projecting all of his own feminine characteristics onto the woman who, which can be beautiful, because I, you know, it's amazing to love the goddess and the woman body and, and being is gorgeous and I love adoring the goddess. But when I didn't know the goddess here, when I didn't know the goddess inside me, and I wasn't embodied with her, then the relationship tended to be a lot more rocky. You know, and I think that the most important piece around embodiment is the emotional body. Now, in my, my last partner, who I run Embodied Awakening Academy with, we run a tantra school, um, when we first got together, it was amazing. I had never actually, you know, I remember the, the first times that there was any disagreements or fights between us. She literally would take herself out of the room. She'd go move her emotional body, yet kill, strict, kick and scream, whatever she needed to do, because she knew her session was in school, like it was time to do her inner work. And then she'd come back into conversation and a very clear communication. And I was like, whoa, I've heard of women doing this but i've never actually seen it in action in relationship and so what did what did that do my own feminine had a reflection of what it meant to have a healthy emotional body rather than what i was used to is when the external feminine got triggered i would be like all right i'm ready i'm ready for war my my, my guards are up i'm ready to hit all the what, what do i need how do i protect myself here and instead you know she wasn't perfect at it no one's ever perfect but in general this was a situation and what it did is it created the space for my own being to know what to do with my emotional body when things came up so then when we did come back together there was clear conscious communication we weren't relying upon each other to be our coach to be our counselor we were meeting ourselves in our own inner union our own masculine feminine dancing together and then as a result of us being strong in our own inner union when we would come together and in, in unionship it was like we got to have this other whole dimension to the relationship he, i kind of call it like a three-way with god not a religious god but a you know a, a grand design that was unifying and coming together for our relating and that to me is a the essential piece of embodiment in relationship both people have to have and whether it's masculine man man woman woman whatever pronoun you want to use both individuals have to have a healthy relationship with their emotional body in order to have a healthy relationship in the bedroom as well as out of the bedroom with communication. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, man. I think if I had to narrow it down to one area that makes it difficult for most men to be in relationship, it's connection to their emotions and also knowing what to do with them. Mm -hmm. Where Where is it appropriate for me to exercise and explore and express my emotions uh, when is it time for me to be in command of my emotions and redirect that energy towards something else mm -hmm. and, and to have that level of discernment requires first a deeper exploration into those emotions and the only places i've really seen full free and safe exploration of emotions for men is in spaces with other men at least first at least initially mm -hmm. I mean, and I won't go too deep into detail, but I've been in rooms with 250 guys who are from all different types of backgrounds, all different types of age demographics, and the lights go out and we're led into an emotional experiencing exercise. And all of a sudden, within five minutes, it looks like it looks like uh, like a psych ward, you know, like, like, <laughs> literally and not, and not to not to satirize that but literally it's like the, the you know the tears the sobbing the kicking screaming yelling it's almost like you're in one of those one of those scenes from a horror movie because it's so unusual at least it was for me at the time the first time i witnessed this i'll never forget back in 2015 and to witness men just doing what naturally their body is asking them to do whatever that is you know guys were 
hitting each other, right? Obviously in, in, in a safe context, but like making physical contact with each other and like being held, being hugged, like screaming on the ground. It, it was incredible. And I know that that's still a, a highly unique experience for most men to, to claim on the resume. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what do you, what is it, what do you think it looks like for men? Let's, let's imagine that guys are hearing this and they're like, oh my God, that sounds really intense and overwhelming, but also something I feel like I need more of. What's a good entry point to begin that emotional exploration to help you with? You know, I, 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 I get this question actually a lot. I get a lot of messages from women who are like, my husband's not embodied. He's doing this. He's running the same problems. What do I do? How do I start? Where does this begin? Yeah. So I, I can appreciate it. I mean, really what it takes is a man's willingness more than anything. Like the man has to recognize, okay, there's some way of being there's something that i'm continually doing that's just not working and the the willingness starts with getting vulnerable with the self like i remember one of the first times i cried a like cried for no reason you know and just cried and actually got real with the emotions that were inside of me and i could feel even in those tears i was like oh my god who's somebody looking at me like oh oh, i gotta wash away the tears you know and it was like oh no i can actually just be with that and it's a it's a journey not a destination and i think for any man who's just beginning to show up in this way you know find a local men's circle find a place where you can begin to just share under the surface of what's alive like when i'm living in bali i always host weekly men's circles and i love when new guys come and they're like i've never sat around a group of men before and they at the end of it and i i actually call do these circles called embodied men's circles so i invite like a deeper expression and some guys come once and they're like I like what you're doing here. I, I might be ready for it in about five years, but give me a, give me a little bit because this is a little intense. I'm like, fair enough, bro. Like, the <laughs> because you know, and what you're sharing, being in a room with like that many people, it's that many men expressing. There's a lot that's there, and if you think about all the emotion and the energy that's been suppressed and that's been pushed down, like whatever is suppressed on the inside gets expressed on the outside which is usually where men are judging ridiculing and shaming the chaotic crazy what they call the feminine on the outside so for a man to just start to own that there might be some things inside that he you know doesn't know how to to work with and be with and you know honestly the 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 book i just wrote that's coming out shortly one of my inspirations in this was like, I felt like I wanted to speak to that man, that man that's like, he's not quite even at that willingness point. Like he may have heard about a concept before, like even the fact of being able to pick up a book called The Embodied Man, I know is gonna shift to like, there's a willingness right there. Sure. But there's so many guys because of the society and the alpha that we've grown up in, for many people that it's like there's almost a shame with admitting that something needs to shift and like there's a shame of oh i don't know do you know how long it took me to be able to express those three words to like partners of like i don't know it's like oh i i do but i'm I'm just i just don't know right now okay i'm gonna know real soon i'm gonna have the answer shortly but right now it was like whoa that's the shame and saying i don't know you know Totally, man. Wow. Um, that's just so well, so well described. I think that I've, I've seen more men who don't really believe that they're ready for it. And, hmm. and obviously every man has his journey and his timing. But in my opinion, the most valuable first step is, is witnessing hmm. other men go there. And this is where leadership really emerges, in my opinion, because for anybody to have the courage or confidence to go there and to jump off that cliff, there's, there's got to be some leadership. There's got to be that modeling of, well, here's what it looks like, right? Here's what it looks like to explore your emotions. Here's what it looks like to create a relationship with anger, to know your anger, to know your sadness and your grief, to know mm. your joy and your, and your ecstasy. Here's what it looks like. And mm-hmm. obviously the prerequisite for that is the willingness to step in the room. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I agree with you there, but once you're in the room, I think there's an 
important role we play in, in mentoring each other and fathering each other so that we can say, hey, here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like to go there. Otherwise, I think it, it would be it would be much it would be like the one percent of people who who are willing to go there on their own just because they're naturally risk taking. And mm-hmm. they're like, what do I have to lose? Mm-hmm. But most men, and I know this, and I'm, I'm saying this to every man out there who's hearing this and feels really uncomfortable by this conversation just listening, is I know that the, the body is so clever and has so many different ways of telling us that we shouldn't do something. The, the mechanisms of the ego to protect us and try to keep us safe are so elaborate and, and strong. That's what we know as children. That's all we know is to keep ourselves safe, to protect ourselves from perceptions of harm or actual harm. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole lot of story and narrative that says we shouldn't do what we, you and I have just been spending the last hour talking about. <laughs> so I get it. I get why guys don't pick up the Embodied Man book off the bookshelf. I get why guys don't sign up for the courses. I also understand why women are reaching out to guys like you and me saying, how do I get my husband in this? How do I get my boyfriend? I just talked to somebody this weekend who was like, oh my God, I love your work. I, I wish I could get my partner to take one of your courses. I'm like, I know, I get it. And mm-hmm. you're right, man. Everyone's got to have their journey. Everyone's got to have their journey. It's, and when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of doing something different, that's when change will happen. Yeah, oh, I love love the way you put that. I I remember many years ago, I was running a weekend workshop in Australia with a, a, a woman friend of mine who works a lot with women. And on the weekend, we had the first day was all women and the second day was all men. So Saturday came and all the women came and, you know, I was we were supporting them. It was kind of about like loving a man and how do they do it and all the different ins and outs. And we had a beautiful ritual that night with the men. And then on Sunday, it was going to be a workshop with only the men. And I don't know if you spent much time in Australia. I was living down there a lot. Like these are very like ochre, out of the coal mines. Like they were just very Aussie alpha dudes that really the only reason they were there was because their wife or their woman was like, hey, you're going to this weekend and you just need to come. So they were kind of like their arms are closed. They're like, all right, what's this all about? What's this dude going to make me do? This is a little scary. And I led them into a meditation, this beautiful meditation. And within 15 to 20 minutes after that workshop started, every single man in that room was crying like that wasn't my intention i wasn't like i'm gonna make these guys cry i was just this is what naturally came through and i looked at my my friend i was teaching with and it was just such a touching moment because what it represented to me was that there was a willingness in these guys to show up and there was a longing to be in a space where all of them were welcome, all of their emotions were welcome, and they weren't being judged, they were being celebrated for bringing the fullness of them. And that was like, I I never forget that moment because it was just a, a shift in how I was observing the male bodies. And no matter who the man is, underneath all of the masks and the layers, I find there's a there's a, a longing inside to be vulnerable, to be real, to really share authentically, you know, what's alive inside. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about, man. I love talking about those real experiences I have, like testimonial types of experiences of things I've seen. Because what I like to say is that the ocean's not actually that that deep. The, the armor's mm. not that thick. All it requires is the right circumstances, environment, and then for one person to go seven layers deep. As mm-hmm. soon as that happens, and the container is held in a good way, all of a sudden everyone's got permission to go there. And as soon as we start seeing that we're not actually unique, that I'm not the only one who was sexually abused as a child, I'm not the only one who sexually abused or assaulted a woman, I'm not the only one who's afraid of my bigness or thinks about my dick size or, or fill in the blank, right? Fill in the blank of the story or inadequacy that men hold on to. As soon as we realize that we're not alone in that and that we're not gonna be ridiculed or bullied for it, it's like doing a cannonball, thinking you're jumping in the deep end and your ass hits the bottom like right away. <laughs> it's, it's jarring, but it's also exhilarating. And, and you see guys walking out of there like grinning from ear to ear because, oh, I did it and I didn't die. It's a, uh-huh. it's a really exhilarating experience. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But it takes courage, right? Your, your yeah. heart will be pounding out of your chest until you utter the words out of your mouth that you never wanted to say to anybody in your whole mm. life. You've been holding on to it for some guys it's their whole life since they were a child. And your heart will be like running out of your throat. And then the mm. moment it comes out and you look around and realize that there's other guys in tears because they feel the same way. 
mm. or guys reaching out to put a hand on your shoulder, give you a hug or raise their hand and say, dude, me too. Mm. It, it's amazing how transformative an experience like that is. And I've seen it happen in less than 15 minutes. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And, you know, the, the framework I like to put context to that I think helps support why that happens is really, again, into the conversation of inner union because the feminine in, in the male body has more of a capacity to trust the masculine in a male body than she does to the masculine in a, in a female body. So when it's all men that come together, the, the, the young girl inside, as I like to call it, often is like, ah, Oh, I'm not, I can just bring myself here and, and I'm not going to be ridiculed. Because usually, you know, the dialogue, women are like, I want you to be more vulnerable and be more real. I want you to feel more. But then finally, that young girl that's inside the male body finally has the time when she's like, okay, I'm going to share more. And then what happens in that moment? It requires the female body to shift more to a masculine polarity to witness without judgment. But if she's not witnessing without judgment and holding a strong masculine polarity, then she's then, then the young immature masculine in the in the female body is just going to start ridiculing that young girl inside. So what happens to the feminine inside the male body? She's like, I'm not coming out again. That was scary. You guys are crazy. I'm going to hide away in my little lock and cave cave for another couple of years because this isn't safe. Yes. Yeah, hide behind my big muscles and beard and, and never come out again. Exactly. Uh, that, that, is, that is so well spoken. And I hope that all of the women who listen to the podcast hear that too, because it's often a hard thing to communicate. Mm. Uh, I get a lot of inquiry from women who are asking exactly that. How do I get my, you, you seem like such an emotionally grounded man. How do I get my, I want my husband, my partner, my boyfriend to just open up more about what he's going through. And time and time again, I have to very gently and carefully explain <laughs> why it doesn't feel safe as a man to do that with a woman, let alone our partners, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And that, anyway, so I can't say it any better than you did, so I'm gonna leave it right there, and if people missed <laughs> it because they were snoozing while they were driving or something, go back like five minutes and re-listen to what Aaron just said. <laughs> That's really powerful, man. That's really potent, mm -hmm. and I do believe it's possible, but there's, there's work that we all have to do to be able to really embody that space, to really mm -hmm. embody a masculine space or a feminine space when it's appropriate and called upon and to mm -hmm. have the discernment and the listening for which is being asked for to me that's the real measure of adulthood mm -hmm. to know when the time is right for those different abilities that we cultivate in ourselves so. absolutely yeah yeah well Man, time flies when you're having fun and having good conversations. Um, we're just about at time. So uh, first thing I'll say, Aaron, is what a great way to get to know you, man. I really enjoyed this conversation and appreciate your depth of wisdom. It's, it's really clear to me that you've embodied the wisdom that you, ha that you share on this planet. Mm. It's really clear mm. to me. I can feel that from you. And, um, you know, before I let you go and have you tell us a little more about what you're doing and tell us about more about your book and your courses, I got a few rapid fire questions for you. Yeah, sure. I love them. <laughs> so what is one thing you learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18? Uh, be more patient. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the book for all 18 year olds, right? Yeah. <laughs> Forget the chapter. That's the whole book. That's the whole book. Just be more patient. It's, it will all work itself out. That little crazy mind that's trying to... Yeah. Slow, take breath, relax. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Um, presence. The capacity of just being fully in presence, no matter the situation, whether that's presence for yourself and your own process, whether that's presence for your partner, your family, like holding, loving, unconditional presence without to your own detriment. This is a, it's an embodied presence. It's not a mental presence. It's a presence that says, hey, I'm here. Can you feel me? I'm here and I'm with you completely. I love that, man. Last one, what is the one thing the world needs more of from men right now? Hmm, well, I, I would say embodiment. It needs a leadership that is coming from the embodiment inside and that 
I feel is men who have a willingness to meet more of the uncomfortable, you could say feminine emotions inside and feminine feelings. And in that, what will happen is leadership that comes from intuition. And when we can lead from that place and feel the intuition of our soul, then we're, we're going to live into a whole new trajectory of possibility in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Love that, man. All right. Well, where can people go to find you, follow you, learn more about your book? Tell us all the things before we let you go. Yeah. So the retreat I'm running right now, I run usually three, four times in different places around the around the globe. Um, you can go to the initiationjourney.com. Has all the details. There's one coming up in uh, Bali, and then Spain, and then again next next year here in North America. And I have a book coming out uh, just beginning of December. So depending on when you're watching this, you can go to Amazon and just look up the Embodied Man. Uh, you can also go to the EmbodiedManBook.com, and there's a whole 10-week online course called the Embodied Man Course. So you can go to those websites and get everything, and that will lead to my website and all, all the other things. I, I do a lot of retreats and workshops and one-to-one coaching and all all the things. So find me. I'm very very reachable. Say hello. If you have any questions, send me a question. I'm I'm very passionate. This is my life work, and is you know the reason why I can travel around like a madman. And, <laughs> and connect with epic communities and help people wake the fuck up <laughs> there you go man uh well aaron it's truly been an honor to have you on here thank you for everything that you bring great uh good luck and enjoy this weekend with the men that you're bringing out there and i look forward to catching up with you again further down the road absolutely brother thank you so much great to be here All right, y'all, please cruise over to risingman.org. Check out the links and resources for this episode and every episode of the podcast over there at risingman.org. Please subscribe to us wherever you're listening to the podcast and cruise over and check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the rising man movement. If you haven't been there ever, then please go over there and subscribe and check out some of the amazing content we popped up there this year. Shout out to Mark Rose, who's really helped us to develop that YouTube channel this year. Give us a follow on Instagram at Rising Man Movement. Shout out to all of you guys who follow us. We just hit 4K followers this week. Big milestone. Thank you guys for always being a support and everybody out there for all the support you've lent towards the Rising Man Movement and what we do here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.